Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Those of you that may not be used to my face because you're used to Colton's face, you're used to Rex's face in the pulpit, uh, my name's Mike Bickley, and uh, one of the privileges that, that I had um, was actually being a part of Journey uh, Bible in 2003 when it launched a campus. And, uh, and so here we are back doing that again. And um, as you can tell from the title slide, we're in a series on the book of Proverbs, and we want to continue in that. So let me give you a summary of the book of Proverbs. If you look at this slide, it tells us, you know, one of the things Proverbs does to teach its principles is it does a ton of contrasting. And, and what it does is it contrasts the fool with the wise, the wicked with the righteous, and talks about the results that, that a fool uh, choosing to do sin and wickedness leads to evil and, and a person who follows God's wisdom and seeks a righteous way of living uh, finds life. And so we know that the fool does right in his own eyes and the wise live in the fear of the Lord. And so that's really important. You know, as we study the book of Proverbs, we understand that people who live by their own perspective make their own choices, develop their own wisdom, choose their own morality, are people that end up inflicting in the world evil, and they end up doing what they think is right in their own eyes. As a matter of fact, in the book, uh, the Bible, uh, over and over, it talks about how people did what was right in their own eyes rather than what was right in God's eyes. And what's the difference between these is, is really who's the center or the source of your decision-making. For the wise person, that source is God, God's revelation, God's truth. And that becomes the basis upon which we determine right from wrong, wisdom from foolishness, uh, evil from good. And for the fool, it's their own self. And they, they are really choosing their path based on their own perspective. Um, one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How, ma how many of you know those verses? I wish I'd separated out verse 7, but most of us know, trust in the Lord. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him, right? We, we know that kind of concept um, over and over. Uh, we know that he's going to make our paths straight. But if I covered up verse 7 and asked you to recite verse 7, very few of us would know that. Most of us focus on verse 5 and 6, and we forget that 7 tags along. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, self and your understanding and your ways, if you set that as the course of your life, then you are on the wrong course. Instead, we choose to fear the Lord with all of our heart. We turn away from evil. This is a, a, a core teaching in Proverbs, that the godly, the righteous, the wise, choose 
to turn to God. They choose to turn to God's wisdom. They choose God's ways so that it brings life and goodness and righteousness, not just to their families, but to the world in which they live. You know, during COVID, we spent years disinfecting and protecting ourselves. And unfortunately, with the moral decline of our culture, many of churches kind of decided that's what the role of the church is in society. We're going to disinfect and we're going to protect. We're going to get people and disaffect them from sin, and and then we're going to protect them from the world. But the goal of God's people has never been to disinfect and protect. Our goal is to disciple and propel. This is the core teaching of all of Scripture. Why does God change us and leave us here? If he wanted to change us and take us there, amen, right? We're all ready to go. But he doesn't. There's a waiting period between when we find Jesus, we follow Jesus, and the time in which we get to be with Jesus for all eternity. And so there's a role we have right now to play in this world. And the Bible tells us that we are to be the light and the salt. We are to shine a light in the midst of the darkness so that people can see the truth, see the way, see the life which is in Jesus. And we also are the salt. We are flavoring society, preserving society, and bringing God's favor to society. And that's why we as God's people are here. We are to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission tells us. Make disciples. And then, as Christ was sent into the world, so he sends us as his disciples into the world. Now, I want to now turn from kind of those broad perspectives, and I want to touch on something, and that's one of my, some of the most challenging verses that we find in the book of Proverbs. It says, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? You and I, as God's people, can't watch things happening in the world and feign ignorance. When we see great mass immorality being propagated in a culture, that leads to oppression and death. We can't just stand by because of cultural pressures or whatever it might be and feign like, pretend like we we don't know what's going on. God knows the very core of our heart. And so we are left here for a purpose. And part of that is to rescue, is to hold back, is to take action and engage. So that brings us to the subject matter for this morning, uh, abortion and the sanctity of life. And um, I can't think uh, of a better morning to touch on this subject. Um, Actually, this was planned for a number of weeks because two weeks ago I gave this message at the central campus and then we planned that I would come and give the exact same message. I'm using the same notes and the same slides that I did with our central campus. It just so happens that you're getting it on the Sunday following the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Probably uh, one of the most historic answers to prayer for the American church in modern days was the overturning uh, of 
that uh, law. And, uh, and so uh, I just want you to know that um, I come here understanding how important this issue is. But I also understand how sensitive this issue is. I also know it's impossible to tackle the whole issue in one sermon. So forgive me that I won't be able to do that. Many of you in here for the last few weeks I've asked to pray. I've asked even to fast uh, so that this message uh, would be given in the way it should be. And I know that everyone in America has their own views. Isn't it great to live in a country where you not only can have your own view, but you have the right to share it publicly if you want to? I mean, now there may be some views we don't like to hear. <laughs> That's a different story. But isn't it great that uh, we have that freedom? So where am I coming from today? What I want you to know is that I'm coming as a shepherd to teach and to guide and I'm coming to bring you biblical perspective on a moral issue. I want it to be very, very clearly understood as a shepherd, I do not believe the sanctity of life is a political issue. I do not believe it's a social issue. I do not believe it's a worldly issue. I believe that the Bible has taught that this is a moral issue. So my prayer is that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in God's sight. So I want to continue putting us all on the same page before we move to what the expectations of action might be for us as God's people. And so I want us to remember that our starting point with everybody is we want to help everybody find Jesus, and then we want to help everybody follow Jesus. I think this is so important for us to remember. No person sitting in this room who has found Jesus doesn't bring with them baggage from the life they had before they found Jesus. None of us walk in here as perfect people. We walk in here as people who have been healed, who have been restored, who have been renewed, we, we, we forgiven, washed, cleansed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But, but we come from all kinds of backgrounds. We come from all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of sinfulness, some of it very deeply private, some of it very overtly public. But every person comes from the standpoint of sin as they seek out Jesus in response to him seeking them out. Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's really important for us to realize he's got a list here and it's representative. So if you're not on that list and you're on another list, you're guilty too. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't put his sin on this list. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor. As a matter of fact, he felt such great remorse for the fact that he traveled around the Roman world seeking to persecute and put to death Christians, that he called himself the worst of all sinners, the chief of all sinners. In other words, he said, I don't care what you've done, but this is what I've done, and it's been manifestly made public, and I am the very worst of them all. But then he says this, but such were some of you. 
but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Those are some of the most wonderful, powerful verses you could ever read, right? No matter what baggage you carried to Jesus on that cross, when he died, he paid for it. And when you and I surrender our lives to him by faith and accept what he did on the cross as paying the penalty for our sin, and and we believe that he rose again, then we know, because he rose again, that he had the power over sin, over death, over hell, over the devil, and that he could cleanse us, he could wash us, he could forgive us. He proved that he came back to life so he could give life. And that's what you and I have experienced. We've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been sanctified, we've been put into his kingdom. We have a new heart and we have a new way of living. When you turn to Jesus, you are turning away from your old way of living. And you are turning to the ways of Christ. You are turning to God from self. You are turning to God from sin. When you find Jesus, you follow Jesus. It's a package deal. Finding and following. So let me pray for us. God, now help us as those who have found Jesus and follow Jesus, help us to know what it is that we are to do as your people in the midst of this issue, which right now, this week, in our culture, is maybe the most talked about issue, abortion and the sanctity of life. So God, give us wisdom to understand your ways, to embrace them, and to live them out. In Christ's name, amen. You know, um, just a short story. Uh, When I was a grade schooler, uh, right around the time uh, of Roe v. Wade uh, being passed, uh, my dad um, was an obstetrician. And one day, when I came home from school, he was home, and he was on the couch, and he was taking a nap, trying to take a nap. He was very restless when I got home, and that was very, very unusual to ever see my dad unless he'd been on call up all night delivering babies, uh, and then usually he, he was sacked out. And, and I grew up in a home without much moral uh, instruction and, and really a broken home with all kinds of baggage in it. But I remember this moment very clearly because um, when I asked my dad w- what was wrong, because I could tell something was wrong, he said that he had been in the delivery process with the baby, and the baby had died during birth. And he, and he talked with anguish on his face about everything they had done to try to save this baby. And he, he just, he was brokenhearted that he had lost a child at birth. And, and he was just... Uh, you could just see it, you could sense it, and that left a deep mark on my life um, because he cherished the gift of life and he under, understood that everything possible should be done to save a life, preserve a life, protect a life. And as an obstetrician, that's what he gave his life to. Now, at that moment, I had no biblical framework for the understanding of the sanctity of life, but I had a model of someone who believed that it existed, that it should be cherished and protected. And to this day, I'm grateful for that. 
So I want to say that we need to understand in our culture that politicizing or legalizing something does not negate God's moral imperatives. This is so important because there are those that want to move this topic into the political realm. There are people who want to move this topic into a legalized realm. In other words, here's the deal. People can say, well, this belongs to the people to vote on. And, and, and I, I'm grateful that we have those rights and everything, okay? And some people can say, you know, whatever's legal is right. That's how you determine in our moral culture what is right and what is wrong. Is it legal or is it illegal? If it's not illegal and it's legal, then it's right. And I want you to know that that's not true. God has standards. The standards he has are different than the world's standards. And so because it's politicized and there's a majority of people that politically think something's right, and because it's legalized and a majority of people think it should be, be legal, does not mean it's right in God's eyes. As a matter of fact, God tells us that the role of government is to promote good and punish evil. But good and evil are not defined by the culture. Good is God's good. Evil is what God says is evil. And so when a role of government strays away from God's role for that government, he has a right to judge that nation. And we know that it brings shame on a nation when they promote evil as good and promote good as evil. And so it's just really important for us to understand that this issue has been politicized for a purpose. And we need to know it is not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It has been legalized for a purpose. We need to understand that this is not a legal issue. It is a moral issue. The sanctity of life and the killing of an unborn child are all mentioned throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, one of the main reasons God was giving the land to the Israeli people and taking it away from all of the other peoples was the way that they performed child sacrifice as a regular part of their religious worship in all of those nations. God saw that as extremely evil. Any nation that would sacrifice its children was the most oppressive. So I want to just give you uh, an overview of why an unborn child is to be treated as if it is a person. And I'd like to just give you three reasons. I'm being very representative here. There's tons more in the Scripture on this topic, but it gives us all a starting point to understand why, as God's people in the church, we want to focus on these things. So, first, Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are different than the animals. When we see how God created uh, the earth, how God created the animals, and how God created mankind, we are different. We are created in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is a very important under point for you and I to understand, is we are in God's image. The rest of creation is not created in God's image. The animals are are not in God's image. We have two dogs at my house. We have a lab named May, and we have a Shih Tzu named Boo. 
And Boo is about 15 years old, which makes him in dog years past when he should have died, okay? And Boo has this thing that when I let him outside, he wants to poop on the patio. He wants to pee on the patio. And, and, and if not there, he'd rather do it on the deck. He does not want to do it in the yard. So when we take him outside, if we allow his leash to be long enough to get to the patio, that's where he's going to poop. That's where he's going to pee. We have to drag him down the deck to the post to put his long leash on so he can't get to the patio. And you know what? Never once did he wake up in the middle of the night, come running up to me, and bark, I'm sorry for pooping on the patio. Not once. He has no moral bearings that would say something like that is wrong. Now, I can train him not to poop and pee on the patio. I can discipline him when he does it. Frankly, right now, he doesn't care, and he's going to do it anyway. And he's just, he doesn't have any moral bearings. God is our creator and our designer, created us different than the animals. We have a soul. We are made in his image. We have a moral compass. We experience guilt and shame. We have rationality. We are spiritual beings. All of these things come into play with God's expectations of his creation. And it's important for us to understand that's why we see incredible dignity in a human person. Every person, whether they're stewarding God's image like he intended or not, they have it. That's why oppression and taking advantage of people in the Bible is wrong. That's why the measured consequence of taking any human life in the Old Testament is capital punishment. So that's number one. Second, the Bible teaches us life begins at conception. There are a number of places that it talks about this. As a matter of fact, I, I was reading in the Psalms this morning, and there are numerous places where it speaks to this issue. Here's one of those Psalms, Psalm 139, 13, and 14. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Another place, Jeremiah chapter 1, it, it tells us that God set Jeremiah aside, apart, as a prophet from the womb. And it says in that passage, they even made the choice before Jeremiah was in the womb. So we know that life begins at conception. Did you know at conception, your unique DNA is formed? Did you know at conception, your blood type is set? Did you know at eight weeks, a child can smile? Did you know at eight weeks a child can suck its thumb? At eight weeks a child can respond to sound? At eight weeks, if there's a medical procedure done in the womb with the needle, that the child will recoil away from the pain of that needle? Did you know at eight weeks you have a fully functioning circulatory system? You have a fully functioning nervous system? All of these continue to develop more and more and more. Did you know at eight weeks you have a unique fingerprint? 
All of these things we didn't know in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was taking place. We didn't have high-definition sonograms. We didn't have the advancement that we do now in understanding. We had the Bible, and we should never have done it, but our nation has strayed from the Bible for centuries. But now we have actually scientific validation of all of these things we are talking about that demonstrate the uniqueness of humans made in God's image. We now know that what is in the womb is not a mass of cells, it's a child. And then third, this is probably the most important thing for you and I, is we understand that the soul is present at conception. Now this is a hard thing to grasp for us, and it is somewhat mysterious, but we are told in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I don't think that what David was trying to convey in Psalm 51 is that his mom uh, got pregnant out of wedlock or something like that. What, what he's trying to convey is that he understands that we have a sin nature that's passed on to each person. The Bible tells us that this takes place, and we, we know about it from, uh, very specifically from Paul's teaching. And, and what is taking place here is what he is saying is that from conception, once you and I become a human being, that sin nature is already present within us, which conveys the reality that our soul is already present and that we need a Savior to rescue us because our sin nature guarantees that as we grow and become of age, we will sin. We will make choices against God and we will commit sins. And because of our sin, we will deserve judgment. And unless we have a Savior, we will pay for our own penalty. If we have a Savior, He pays for our penalty. Actually, Ephesians 2 makes this very clear. It talks about our sin nature. So a child is not an animal. God is, is involved at conception. You and I are made in his image, and we have a soul at conception. So now, let's go back to our proverb. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. You know, I, I don't know. I tried to look up what the impact of slavery was in America and, and how many of the slaves were murdered and were killed uh, over the generations of slavery that were perpetuated, and I could not find a number. But I, I, I'm going to just throw out 20, 30, 40 million. Since 1973, statistically, somewhere between 63 and 73 million babies have been killed in the womb in, in less than 50 years. It's the greatest moral issue of our day. Did you know in the book of Exodus, there's actually a law. If a pregnant woman was harmed by someone else, and the baby died in her womb while someone was inflicting harm upon her, that person was to be put to death for killing the person in her womb. Capital punishment applied in that situation. That's how grave the situation of taking the life of a child is, in the womb or out of the womb. 
Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. Expose them. You know, I, I thought a lot about this, and I thought, how do you expose something? Well, think about it. The best way to expose darkness is with what? Light. The best way to expose death is with life. The best way to expose despair is with hope. The best way to expose hate is with love. The best way to expose evil is by good. The best way to expose deception and lies is by truth. And so sometimes we tend to see expose it as a license to make people feel guilty and worthless and shameful for what they've done or what they're considering. But it's the exact opposite. To expose means to bring the answer, to bring the hope, to bring the light, to bring the truth. So when we talk about exposing the darkness of abortion and murder in our culture, we don't do it by pouring out guilt and shame. We do it by bringing hope and offering alternatives and talking about God's image and talking about how he created us and how he designed us and what he has in store for us. And so that's what we want to do. And so what we want people to do to understand God's moral imperatives is to find Jesus. Amen? And when they find Jesus, then they want to turn from self. They want to turn to sin because they've turned to God. And what happens is when we find Jesus, and that's why so church, hear me, this is why Chris helps lead our missions team. We are never engaged in social act activism apart from gospel proclamation. It'll never happen because we are just putting band-aids on something that is broken and dying when reality, life needs to come. And so we always link anything that we're doing that could be called justice socially has to be linked primarily first with gospel proclamation. Are you with me? Okay, so when people find Jesus, what should we expect of them? When they become a new person, they receive a new heart, we expect what? That they'll turn from the old and learn the new. And we know that's a process, right? It's a package deal. You find Jesus, what do you do? You follow Jesus. So, can you be pro-choice and come to Jesus and receive salvation? I want to hear an amen. Okay? Can you stay pro-choice after you find Jesus? You can't. Because Jesus isn't pro-choice. He's pro-life. This is so important. So if you're sitting there and you're wrestling with this because it's been politicized and it's been legalized, and you're a follower of Jesus, you can't stay where you were based on worldly perspectives, cultural perspectives, legal perspectives, political perspectives. You and I are a people of the book. And we are defined by the moral imperatives of the book. And this is so important. But I also want you to know this. If you've participated in abortion or you forced someone to have an abortion, or you provided an abortion, and you've come to Jesus, you are washed. You are cleansed. Your sin and your shame and your guilt have been taken away and put upon the cross, just like all of Paul's. Can I have an amen? We've got to proclaim that. So if you've participated in that in some way, shape, or form, I'm not here to shame you. 
I'm here to call you to help others to avoid what you did so they can experience Jesus and they can experience life. So that brings us to two crucial questions. And the first one is, what can I do? How can I help? How can I get involved? And so here, let me talk about some of the things you can do. First, don't ignore the reality of evil. It's not going to pass by. Choose to engage. I really do believe the sanctity of life is the greatest moral issue of our day. And now, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we have more opportunity to discuss it with people than ever before. And we have more opportunity to engage, to promote life more than ever. And so pick a way to get involved. You, you know what you're, who you are. You know where your gifts are. You know where your talents are. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to give you some suggestions in a moment of the ways you can. But don't ignore it. Get involved. So here, here are some ways you could get involved. Second, don't discount the power of prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Do you, man, do you know how many decades people have been praying for this moment? The overturn of Roe v. Wade. Do you know how many times people have out, stood outside abortion clinics just praying? Do you, do you know how many times people have walked around those clinics just praying? Do you, do you know how many prayer vigils have been held? Throughout all of these years, decade after decade after decade, do not discount the power of prayer. It's amazing how God has done this. Don't think that President Trump did this by those appointees. That's not how this happened. I'm not saying it wasn't great that he appointed those people. I'm telling you this, though, God did this. I wonder, is, is God giving us a pause to see how we'll steward this new moment in our nation before he brings judgment upon us from all of our other sins as a nation? I don't know. But I think we as the church need to double down on light and salt during this time. Third, use your earthly citizenship to advance kingdom values. One of the great things I love about the Apostle Paul is how many times he leveraged his citizenship in Rome to advance his citizenship and other citizenship opportunities in the kingdom. I want to show you a quick video. Um, please excuse the fact that it might include me in it. Uh, but I want you to see how um, many churches in Kansas, these videos have been done throughout all the major areas of Kansas to promote what's called the Value Them Both Amendment. So watch this video and then I'll talk about it. This is not a partisan issue. This is a human rights issue. This is a sanctity of life issue at its very core. If you don't speak up for the unborn, who is going to? Who's gonna do it? In 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court issued a ruling that forced the state of Kansas to recognize an unlimited and unrestricted right to abortion. I think it's just common sense that, you know, that we would not allow for, as the people in the state of Kansas, to have an unregulated abortion industry. That's just a horrible idea. So thoughtful people, people of faith, people of goodwill, people who believe in human rights need to take this very seriously. The Value Them Both Amendment is a pro-life constitutional amendment that restores the right of the people of Kansas through their elected officials to regulate the abortion industry and to protect 
both mothers and their babies. Both need to be valued. That that child, unborn child, and that mom need to be cared for. When we value both, we are caring for future mothers as much as we're caring for future children. This value them both amendment, if we do not pass this, I believe that Kansas becomes a safe haven for abortion in our nation. That there will be people that come from all over the United States to come to Kansas to have an abortion. I would hate for Kansas to become the destination for other states. Let's rise up as one people on the basis of God's clearly defined word on the basis of life and let's speak with one voice and let's vote to pass this amendment and let's protect the life of the unborn here in this state. In order to protect a life in Kansas, we need your help. Talk to your family, talk to your friends and your neighbors about the importance of the Value Them Both Amendment. Visit our website, valuethemboth.com, and most importantly, don't forget to vote yes on August 2nd. So just quickly about this constitutional amendment here in Kansas. In 2019, when the Supreme Court overturned every law, uh, which is still on the books for Kansans that regulated uh, the abortion industry, what they made is those laws now enforceable. So while they're still on the books, they're unenforceable. And so we need to understand that what happens with this amendment is it says that the Supreme Court can't make that decision. There is no right for abortion in the Kansas Constitution. And so when you vote yes, you're restoring the right of our legislature to make those laws and enforce those laws, which they currently are unenforceable. Um, the, the scope of this means that Kansas right now could, could have no limitation on abortions or abortion clinics or all kinds of issues associated with that right up to the moment that the child is born. And, and what this means is Planned Parenthood and other organizations, by the way, half of the abortions done in Kansas are from out of state already this last year. And I want you to know that Planned Parenthood has said that in the next year, they're going to raise the number of abortions in Kansas 15-fold from 7,500 to 100,000 minimum because, and now they're doubling down on that, that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and Oklahoma and Arkansas and Missouri and others right around us have already triggered their abortion laws immediately that put in limitations, extreme limitations on abortion. So this is a super important issue. Very important. So that's one way you can leverage your citizenship. You can walk in there, you vote yes. You'll see vote no signs all over town. I, I had a dialogue with, what are you voting no for? Well, because of da-da-da-da-da. I said, have you ran the amendment? No. Do you know what its purpose is? No. So, and it's great. You know, be honest. You know, if you, if you were to talk with your neighbors, most of them that would say, yeah, I'm, I'm pro-choice, if you ask them, what do you think about abortions in the second trimester, the third trimester? What do you think about abortions for convenience? They would all say, no, no, we should have those limitations. Well, then vote yes. Let's have some limitations. Fourth, look for ways to help those who are vulnerable at risk. I mean, this is so simple, and, and 
I'm probably going a little long, although I've heard Colton occasionally goes a little long. So he set me up for this. I was in CVS the other day, and as I'm checking out, I'm buying some vitamins. Um, I see this mom, and, and I know she's a mom um, because she's young, and, and she's buying diapers, she's buying wipes, she's buying vitamins. She's only buying things for her children. And as I'm, I'm watching this, um, she gets, it gets rung up, and she goes, really? It, it's that much money? And the, and the person says, yes. And, and, and I'm hearing this, and so she's getting on her phone, and she's looking into her bank account, and she doesn't have enough money. And, he, and he's asking her, well, what do you want to put back? And she's, well, I, I need it all. And, uh, and so I stepped over to her, and, and I, I said, how much are you short? And she goes, I, and she's, you know, she's just so flustered. I said, don't worry about it. Let me just pay for it. Let me just pay for it. You know, God has blessed me, and he's called me to be a blessing. And, and I want to do that for you. I, I want to do this for you. And as a matter of fact, I, I've shared this before, but um, someone in the congregation gives me some money to give away. I was so compelled by this one, I wasn't going to use that person's money to do this. I wanted to do this. And I bought it, and I'm starting to walk out. She says, stop. And she comes up, and she goes, can I give you a hug? And, and I just told her, I said, and I'm watching you. You're, you're, you. Look at the stuff you're buying for your kids to keep them healthy. And I said, no mom should have to worry about whether she can buy vitamins for her kids. And it, it was just such a joy. When you see that, God probably has already provided for you to do something if he's pricking you. Don't wait 10 seconds. You got 10 seconds to walk over there or you'll talk yourself out of it. Do not talk yourself out of it. Go do it. I planted a seed. Maybe the Lord will use that. Fifth, find a way to engage in options for life rather than abortion. Maybe that means that you can house someone. Maybe you have extra space in your house, and you can house and feed and provide health care for a mom who's decided to carry her baby to term. Maybe you could volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe you could help with counseling for those facing life-altering choices. So that's the first. Those are some ways you can help. Now let me tell you some ways you can heal. How can you find grace and forgiveness and help? Maybe you've been one of those people that had an abortion. Maybe you've been one of those people that encouraged someone else or forced someone else or urged someone else to have an abortion. Maybe you were part of providing abortion services. The first thing you can do is get Christ-centered counseling. Going through abortion can leave an incredible mark on someone. As a matter of fact, many have PTSD from it. And Advice and Aid, one of the crisis pregnancy centers here in the Kansas City metro area, provides free counseling and services for those that are trying to figure out how to get past that. You can also meet with Pastor Mark, uh, our, our uh, pastoral care uh, pastor, and he would, he would love to uh, review for you what the Scriptures teach about how Christ has washed things away and forgiven you. And um, I just... I just can't remind you enough that there is no sin too big. There is no thing too dark that Christ's light, Christ's hope, and Christ's sacrifice cannot cover. Grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope. 
That's the allotment of those who have found Jesus and are following Jesus. And the most important thing we need to remember is that the trick of the devil is to keep us living in our old identity through shame and guilt rather than living in our new identity through the Word of God and the power uh, of forgiveness. Second, help people in the darkest spots find love and hope in Jesus Christ. This is so crucial. One of the best ways, you know, coming from a home, with a broken home, with an alcoholic mom who, who was a drug addict, one of the things I've learned about AA and 12-step programs, especially Christian 12-step programs, is when you're working through the steps and you get through those steps and you get to the end of those steps, you are supposed to help other people who have the same brokenness you had to get out of their bondage to that sin. And that's what I want to tell any of you that have been a part of this. One of the best things you can do is leverage your story and God's redemption to help someone else in this crisis not to do what you did. It's one of the best ways that you can engage in a powerful, practical, loving, hope-filled way. God wants your deliverance to be passed on to other people. There's a lot we can do. Let's do it. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Um, your grace is powerful. Your truth is powerful. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our wisdom is not in ourselves. It's in you. God, thank you for giving us your word, which teaches us your will and your ways. Thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us to help us to understand and have the power to live in light of the truth that we know. God, we confess that we wander. We get lost. We ask that you would show us how we can live out our faith day to day in this issue so that the world will know there's a Savior who forgives, and there's a God who cares about life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.